What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast, this is episode 65. Uh, and today I'm talking to a listener that reached out and uh, had a really interesting career progression slash story and wanted to talk specifically about uh, the accountability process, uh, how it happens. There's an episode, well, it says a spin the yarn called Band-Aids on Bullet Holes that I recommend going and checking out. And it's me talking about uh, the accountability process and how it, when it happens, sometimes it's not kept within the confines of just the accountability process where a sailor is held accountable for an infraction and uh, then allowed to effectively start fresh day one following whatever that disciplinary action is and the the punishment, if any, that's awarded, et cetera, right? It could be EMI, it could be all kinds of things. But once that happens, it, like that's it. You've paid your penance that the, the things are in place. Maybe you got demoted. Maybe you're paying the money, some money to the Navy or getting some docked from your paycheck or maybe you're on restriction or whatever that is. Uh, you then should be able to move on with a clean slate. And a really great example of that, if you didn't see it, was the post I shared on Facebook from Command Master Chief Jay Bell, uh, who I hope to have on the podcast someday uh, as as I have time and can can reach out to him and hopefully he's willing to do it. But uh, where a sailor was on, like wearing a restriction badge with a NAM right next to it, because while that sailor's on restriction, he, he performed at the level that merited a NAM and the command actually did that and reinforced that behavior positively, which I thought was incredible. Uh, it's amazing. It's unfortunate that that's, that's rare, but it's, it's, it's incredible to see. And I was really glad to see it on social media as well. So other people could see it. Uh, so we talked about a lot of those things, uh, including the very interesting career prog- progression, uh, that this guy had. So, uh, check it out. Awesome. All right. So yeah, like we talked about man, just like because we're going to talk a lot about like your background kind of is the topic. So like just a real quick summary of your background and experience in the Navy that got you to where you're at now. And then we'll uh, we'll get into it. All right. Sure. So uh, my name is Zach Marvain. I'm uh, Ensign 6130 LDO, United States Navy uh, Surface Engineering and Repair. Uh, joined the Navy in October of 2007 under a contract as a submarine nuke machinist mate. Um, Went through nuclear power A school, machinist mate in Charleston, went through nuclear power school in Charleston, and then went up to Boston Spa, New York to finish out prototype. While I was at prototype, I was selected to be a engineering lab tech. Um, smag if you're a submariner. <laughs> and while I was in ELTC school, um, I'd gotten verbal. I didn't have hard copy orders yet. But I had been uh, selected to be a staff pickup instructor of ELT school up there. Lo and behold, uh, about halfway, maybe three quarters of the way through ELT school, um, I came into work one morning about three quarters still drunk from the night before. (laughs) And uh, there was another student in the class who, through a circumstance, was uh, was behind on some coursework. So I helped him out with some coursework. I ended up taking a quiz for him and... One of the instructors sat down next to me, looked at me and said, hey, you know, that's not your name. I looked him square in the face and was like, you're right. Where do we go from here? (laughs) I'm not going to lie about it. I'm not going to try and pass the buck on it. But what's next? So got marched down. uh, Young MM3 had a very stern talking to from senior chief. Did not uh, did not attend my own disciplinary review board or XOI. But nine days later, went directly to captain's mast. So. That's interesting. The CO awarded me a reduction in rate from E4 to E3. Um, 
administrative removal from the nuclear field and forfeiture of $500 a month times two, which back in the 09 time frame was, I believe, about half month's pay. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I didn't find out at my captain's mast was that the disciplinary infraction, in fact, caused me to lose my page 13 as a submarine volunteer. Yeah. So I got sent TAD over to a naval support unit at uh, Saratoga Springs, which is right down the street from Nuke Prototype. And worked there for the first lieutenant for a couple of months. Um, while I was there working for the first lieutenant, the SEL at the Naval Support Unit was an AOC. He was a great guy. If I could tell you his name, I would, but it was almost 11 years ago now. Yeah. Um, and he he, he kind of sat me down right when I got there and he was like, look, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, you screwed up, but it didn't happen here. So what happens from here on out is up to you. So I worked um, pretty, pretty tirelessly. I was, you know, working all around the base, cutting grass, fixing barriers, fixing diesel generators, doing all kinds of mechanic stuff because yeah. I didn't have anything else to do. Um, about four or five months later, back when orders actually came out on message traffic, orders came in, said that uh, I had been approved to convert to machinist mate auxiliaries. So I called the submarine auxiliaryman detailer and uh, said, hey, you know, I just got cleared. Um fireman looking to go to a fast attack submarine and he said hey you're not showing up in my system you're coming up um you're not yet released so call me back on monday well monday message traffic shows oh oh we meant engineman <laughs> so at this point i go well what the hell is an engineman what do i do yeah. so i called the engineman detailer and he was like hey look you know you, uh, you were a submarine volunteer, so I'm going to do what I can to stick you on a small boy. And I got selected for orders to uh, CG-72 USS Vela Gulf. I went through the Cargo Weapons Elevator Sea School in Great Lakes en route and arrived there. So I was there five years. It was in dry dock when I got there. It was in dry dock when I left. I did three deployments on board, um, qualified in just about everything that I could. Um volunteered for a back-to-back sea duty um some personal reasons my dad had gotten sick and it was closer to home yeah so five years on there leave as a first class go to a new ship uh show up to the uss mahan ddg 72 as an en1 take over a gang as the lpo uh i've been on board for maybe six months or so qualified eow um standing edo basically senior in rate to the extent that i possibly could be Come September um, or come August 2nd of 2016, the Chiefs board results came out and my name was on it. So I went through initiation, induction, whatever your term of choice is, on board the Mahan. And immediately the day I was pinned, we had a gap in main propulsion division. There was no chief. So despite not being a gas turbine systems mechanic, they were like, well, you're an engine man and a chief. And close enough. That's what's going to work for us right now. So we uh, we went through a TICOM mid-cycle in-serve and then immediately deployed. So stayed on board uh, Mahan for a majority of the deployment. I flew off the day we outchopped Sixth Fleet, so maybe six, seven months into deployment. And uh, Detailer had given me orders up to Great Lakes. I volunteered for a third sea tour and got told no. So <laughs> I, my my option was you can wear a red rope or you can be an instructor. And I was like, well, I'm really good at the technical side of this, but like 
I, I don't have the shiniest boots. I am not the person that you want talking to junior sailors to impact their opinion of the Navy for the next 20 years. So I'll go be an instructor. Got out to what used to be Surface Warfare Officer School Command, Unit Great Lakes, now Surface Warfare Engineering Schools Command. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I hit the ground running. I ran the Engineman Sea School for about two years. And then I moved over and brought up a new machinist made Sea School, ironically, for A-gangers. <laughs> While I was there, uh, I had the, the luck to work for three separate uh, 6130 commanders as my commanding officer, two of whom are now two of the active duty 6130 captains. Um, I did a flyaway with my CO during uh, 2018. We went out for a board of visitors flyaway to uh, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, talking to ships force and the RMC instructors on what we can do as a training command to better support the needs of the fleet. Mm. And while my CO and I were on this trip, he's like, Hey, look, you know, I've spent some time sitting down and talking to you and you really, you understand the technical stuff. You're willing to look in the books. You, you try to do everything by the book. I think you'd be a really good fit to put in a package. And at the time I could not say no fast enough. Um, (laughs) I, why? So I, I have been a, for, for all intents and purposes, I have been a strong MP sailor my entire career. Yeah. Um, I have been the guy who read the book, knew what was in the book, knew how to fix it, and couldn't keep his damn mouth shut. Yeah. So like <laughs> a like lot me. of sailors, you know, I got myself into plenty of trouble, um, caught some lumps between the beginning and the end, but nothing that rose to the level of the original captain's mast. Yeah. But, uh, so I commissioned out in Great Lakes and did a Corona. I was out there for an extra month. I actually did not go through the uh, LDO Chief Warrant Officer Academy or Fork and Knife School, whichever your your term of choice oh, is. Oh, really? I didn't even know that was optional. No, they, uh, they canceled the class. It actually came from the LDO Officer Community Manager that because they're booked so far out in advance, they don't necessarily yeah. have the option to retread students back through. Yeah. So there were two classes that completely... Uh, were waived. Wow. So I went through the uh, prospective engineering officer pipeline for steamships up in Newport for about two months and then got to where I am now on board uh, USS Baton. Oh, nice. I'll have to see if you know a chief uh, when we're done. I'll keep his name on for now, but yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, man. So like, and the, the reason we kind of connected was you, uh, you sent me an email about, like when you first started listening, the Band-Aids on Bullet Holes uh, episode, which was kind of about accountability being uh, accountability and not like a, a, we're just going to kick you while you're down type of thing. Uh, and I've talked about that a bunch, on a bunch of other episodes, too, I'm sure. I, like I repeat myself a lot sometimes. But um, but like I'm curious for the NJP process, because you have like a like it's interesting enough when I hear chiefs go from chief to LDO and we'll talk about that, too. But. Um, for you to go from being a nuke and you were basically, I mean, you were almost done with the pipeline and then, uh, to, you know, you had your disciplinary issue and then they ended up punting you to a totally different career field and not even submarines. And it was basically like, I mean, you stayed in engineering. That's about it. Like everything else was kind of the opposite of what you expected. Um, but I'm curious, like when the, because we connected on that topic in particular, can you, Go into kind of detail about like how your NJP process happened and like 
how you viewed the process because of that experience going forward. And then we can even talk about the one where you just, you talk, told me you talked to uh, your CEO right before you commissioned uh, about how you didn't think it would went quite the way it should have. Yeah, absolutely. So my, my uh, NJP personally, at the time I was 21 years old. I thought I knew everything. I thought I could get away with anything. And if I did something wrong, I didn't necessarily think that it was a big deal. I just kind of, chalked it up as the price of doing business. And at my captain's mass, the CEO sat me down and said, uh, Hey, you know, if, if what we were doing was training people how to fight fires and you had blazed off a PQS, a qual card on how to fight fires. Yeah. 10 years later, that sailor's going and fighting fires and somebody gets hurt. Is it your fault? And that was when it like, it stuck in my chest, like a knife. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I, I did not even consider that as being within the scope of what was happening. Like that, that was the distinct moment when it went from this happened to me to I caused this and now it's on me to turn this around. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I wonder, cause I've seen a lot of like, um, basically <laughs> on on reddit like or it's just social media sites where like people get uh like they joke and rightfully so i mean it's a thing that you could poke fun at but like the concept of like so chiefs explaining like um you know the your room's dirty and so like if if you don't take care of your room you're not going to take care of the ship the equipment's going to break and the ship's going to explode and everybody's going to die is that what you want like <laughs> so it's almost like the theory of uh of like something small being like blown out way. Like I, I could seven degrees of Kevin, my bacon, Kevin bacon, my way into connecting something to make it look like it's the most terrible thing in the world. But I, like, I feel like in this case, it's pretty, it's a pretty accurate description and it can be a useful tool. But like, sometimes I feel also like there are times where it's like a thing is just a thing. You know what I mean? Like, like it's an innocent infraction is just an innocent infraction and it's not that big of a deal. But in, in this case, do you feel like, I mean, I mean, obviously because of the impact it had, but um, you feel like that that is a, like kind of like a good method for making that connection. Well, for me, absolutely it was, but that yeah. was because, you know, that tied what I had done to accountability internally. Yeah. That, that was when okay. I realized like, Oh, this isn't happening to me. This is happening yeah, because of me. Like I'm not a victim. kind of Exactly. Thing. And gotcha. that's, I mean, so I took that from there and that was like, I had, I don't know, three and a half years remaining on my original contract. And I was like, okay, well, if, you know, if I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to be able to hold my head high at the end of six years, I need to get my shit together. Yeah. And do you feel like the process itself like so because I when I talk about the accountability process and the problems that I have with it, it generally stems from what happens after or or even during like the preliminary inquiry and then after where it's like it, it's almost like people aren't content to just uh, hold a guy accountable to the to the standards or the policies or whatever that they're in conflict with. It's like we got to punish them uh, by ostracizing them from the group and like and kicking them while they're down and, and taking everything we possibly can from them on the way out the door. Yeah. And no, like basically just treating a human that. being poorly. Yeah. Well, so That's, like, but the process that you went through, was it like that? So to me it wasn't, but okay. I can't say 
for certain because that day I received TAD orders to another command. So it okay, wasn't. So they just. I, I was no longer around any of the staff that had known me, right. any of the other students that I was like friends with or close with. I, I kind of I got the punt immediately and I was gone. Yeah. So now, it took the opportunity away for it to even happen, really. I, I think, though, that with that SEL and what he had told me the day I got over to the Naval Support Unit, that that really hit me. So, yeah, when yeah. I got to my first ship, um, Command Master Chief sat me down and was like, hey, I looked at your record and that's cool. And I don't give a shit because it didn't happen here. Yeah. <laughs> and that, at that point, I was like, OK, well, I've heard this twice now. Like, maybe they really mean this and maybe this is like legitimate blank slate. Yeah. Yeah. And I get to write it from here. So, I mean, I used to uh, onboard all the ships that I've served on. Any, anybody, especially within engineering, but really any of the the young guys that go to mass, the young sailors, I'll sit down with them and talk to them afterwards, whether they mm-hmm. know me or not. Give them a little bit about my background just to show them, you know, being held accountable is not necessarily the end of the world or the end of your career. Yeah. That's cool, man, because I, I think a lot, especially when it happens early on, but then even when it happens kind of like you'll see like a young first class trending towards chief and then they take a hit and it's just like it feels like the end of the world because like, how do you recover from that? You know, and it's yeah. taking going to take five years and blah, blah, blah. And everything just exploded. So I think it's it, that's an important step for sure is like the I man, I talk a lot about a bunch of different times, but really just like especially the sailors that like it just happened to, or um, I got a couple like second chance sailors to my boat and it's just like, you're, you got a clean slate with me. So start, start from scratch and no one's going to treat you like any differently than they treat anyone else unless you give them a reason to, you know, like, so. And I mean, um, realistically as a junior sailor, that's the best gift that you can ask for is, Hey, it happened and it's over. How do we move forward? And that's what's funny, too, though, man, is because it's like it's almost like it's not a gift. You know what I mean? And like and I, I I feel like um, it's it can be treated like it's like something that I I possess the ability to like give them. But then I, like from the way and maybe like this is probably the hugger in me. But like to me, that's like an entitlement is like I'm I'm your leader. You're here. You're on a contract like you're, as, as long as you're a sailor in the Navy my job to lead you so if you show up to my unit i like i don't give a damn what happened before you got here i don't care what happened before i got here if it happened at this command like i don't care like it's different now i and it's not because i'm special it's because that's just like i feel like that's a fair assessment is like when you go into that process accountability happens you walk out you paid your penance like moving on like we're starting from like this is day one of the rest of your naval career like the the accountability for whatever happened before happened and i don't think it needs to continue which a lot of times i see that it does and they're like because like you'll be at a ranking board eight months later and they're like oh yeah but you got a dui so oh i've had those fights too it's uh like you you know after the accountability piece has ended it seems like there's always somebody who isn't willing to let it go yeah, like they just have a scarlet letter for the rest of their time at that command. And it's just like, like I got a buddy that uh, he's a CS chief on submarines. Well, he was a CS chief on submarines. So he he was my LPO on uh, my not my last submarine, but the one before that when I made chief and stayed. And uh, he was a second class then. And I mean, he, a lot of work and maturing. And I like I 
I brought him part of the way along. And then my buddy that relieved me kind of got him the rest of the way. And he started to flourish, made first class, went to instructor job. And then he made chief, uh, came back to a boat out in the area that I'm at now and came and saw me on my last submarine and wearing anchors. And it was a really cool moment. And then I saw him again a couple months later wearing a first class crow. And I'm like, no, like what happened? And it was like an ARI and, um, and this kid, so he's on submarines, the division's small, right? So a lot of submarines have a first class leading CS, which is the chief job, basically. Yeah. Um, and the so he was the chief. He was on that submarine. He was a chief in the mess and he was the leading CS. He got demoted because of this ARI because he was frocked. And like they gave him the option. Do you want to stay or go? And he said, I'm not leaving my guys like and he stayed on that submarine. So now he's a first class again, leading CS, has to interact with these chiefs that he was in the mess with, has to, you know, like it, it was really crazy. But at the same time, like every time I talk to him, he's got a real positive outlook on it. And, but I, I, I'm scared for his career progression going forward. Cause if he ever wants to progress, it's like, you're, you're going to be on this boat for the next couple of years at least. And there's probably guys like that in that mess. I hope there's not, I hope I'm completely wrong and they're, Embracing yeah, with open arms, I'd like but. to hope that there isn't, but yeah. what I've seen in my experience is that there, yeah. there is same. That being yeah. said, I mean, it takes a lot of heart to to get punched in the face like that and to walk yeah. back in front of the same guys that worked for you the day before yep. and to keep doing your job to keep yeah. leading. And that's that's what inspires those guys. Yeah. And imagine the life lessons there, too, man, not, not just for him, but for like all of his guys and even those chiefs. Like, Jesus, that takes some stones. Like, yeah, no, I couldn't believe that, that is definitely commendable. I like if he would have asked me, I would have tried to talk him into leaving. Like, because I just like you need a fresh start somewhere else, man. Um, but we yeah, had, uh, I liked it. when I was out in Great Lakes, we had a guy with a similar story. He had uh, he had picked up chief and then gotten gotten wrapped up in something. I don't know the exact story, but it was something involving 3M and uh, gotten busted down and. For five years, this guy put his nose as close to the grindstone as it could get. And five years later, made ENC again. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And that's this kid. I feel like will do that. Like I because I told him, I'm like, you need to be the king of overcompensation. Like (laughs) everything you can do that is like so far in the opposite direction like qualify everything like well and that's i mean to be honest like in the vein of having yeah. that guy in the chief's mess was like mm-hmm. a golden asset because everybody oh, yeah. everybody knew his story cuz he wasn't yeah. shy about sharing it and yep. everybody understood like this is why i need to value this and that's how i feel about like every time i talk to jeff bayless man like do you you know his story have you listened to like his his speech and stuff i, I about- have it's, oh, uh, it, it's very interesting, God. dude. Like, and the fact that he was willing to like talk about it, I couldn't believe it. And so like he reached out to me and we got him on the podcast, too. So there is a podcast. I forget what episode number it is, but um, I believe I've listened to it. Yeah, it's it's called The Evolution. I know that. But it's yeah, man, like the the fact that he's openly willing because I feel like a lot of just human beings being prideful creatures would like probably not openly talk about that and just roll like ride out their time as a chief. Yeah. And, and just retire. ignore that it happened. Yeah. Get out of Dodge this, as quickly as possible. 
this dude <laughs> is like running into it, embracing it and using it as like a teaching tool for whoever is willing to listen. And it's that that is like a leadership development goldmine as far as like that experience and his willingness to talk about it. Because it's like I feel like that that you get a lot more you get a lot more out of it when you're talking to junior sailors and you have the type of credibility. Cause like, I, I've never been to mass. I never even went to DRB. Like I just haven't, I, I probably should have a bunch of times. Like I, not, and pro- yeah, mine I, not should probably. not have been the only one by any stretch yeah, of the imagination. Not probably. I, I definitely should have went to mass at least twice, but um, most of it was my mouth and being insubordinate. It was shocking. I know. Um, but the, like, I don't have the, that like, that wrinkle, you know what I mean? Like when I'm talking to junior sailors, if they ask me, it's like, no, man, I've never, I've be- only been on the chief end of it. So it's kind of hard to relate to a person when you've never experienced it. And it's like, I'm not like upset that I didn't, but you just don't make the same connection on that topic in particular. Yeah, no, absolutely. Once, yeah, then somebody who's gone through it. And so it's just like a really valuable thing. And that's one of the reasons why I want to talk to you because how crazily you got thrown off like into a different direction and then you picked another direction. And it's like, cause I, I don't think on, on top of the stuff that we're talking about with like how like accountability happens and it can be, it can be a rough process as far as like the, the way that commands decide to treat it and kick a guy while he's down type of thing. It's like, also I feel like people think it's the end of the world a lot of times when, uh, like I talked to my buddy Jason about on uh, thoroughly run through about when he, like he he had mental health struggles and like ended up not being able to hold a security clearance because of a lot of stuff that was going on. So uh, they cross rated him like I think he cross rated two different times, but it's like he cross rated as a first class to BM and then he ended up putting on an anchor like I, like he there's a path for you is what I'm oh, getting yeah, at. No, like, absolutely. And that's I mean, realistically, like it's it's cliched and it's trite but the whole it's not how far you fall it's how you land yeah how you man it's how, you, it's, it's how you it's how you move forward true. it's like you're you're when you show the desire to move forward too it's like people like you people like me people like jason are going to see that desire like that sel that you had it's like they're going to see your desire to move forward and that you learned your lesson and they're going to go to bat to put you in a position to succeed and it's probably not it's not he's he can't get you back into the nuke pipeline but I can put you in a position inside the Navy to succeed if that's what you want. And it's like, absolutely there's a lot of paths, weird paths out there um, that people don't really consider, man. And it's like, I feel like it, it doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah. Um, And that's, I mean, I, it took a lot for me to admit to myself that the, uh, the LDO program was what was best for me. So I had a, I, I talked to that captain of mine and more or less shut the door, told him, you know, I really appreciate the interest. I really appreciate the vote of confidence, but I, yeah. I really don't think that somebody with my personality is necessarily the best fit to go into a wardroom. And uh, yeah. a couple of days later, two of the other instructors, two, uh, two chiefs had sat me down. They were like, look, if you don't do this, you're stupid. Like, <laughs> this is your opportunity to change the things that you have wanted to change in a much bigger way and you're not doing it because you're too proud to admit it. And I, I mean, I went home, I talked to my wife that night and I was like, look, you know, this is what this entails. And she backed me a hundred percent, went in the next day, walked into the CEO's office, told him, all right, what do I need to do? 
Yeah. So what? Because uh, we talked a little bit. Because you're like you told me like that you went from chief to uh, LDO, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I know. And it's like so. <laughs> talk to me about the transition process because a lot of I feel like a lot of chiefs shy away from uh, warrant and LDO for that exact reason that you so, kind of alluded to was like we get a lot like a lot of times you either get good good like good natured ribbing about like you're you're leaving the mess and you're abandoning your anchors and stuff all the way up to like vitriol like quitter anchor trucker blah 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 like yeah so probably so. about ninety percent of what I got was good natured ball busting and it was from yeah. guys that. I would have made fun of myself too, or been picking on them. Anyway. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, there was, there was a little bit of outright hate, but honestly yeah. it came, it came from guys that were relatively new in the mess. Yeah. Talking like under a year and we're still so wrapped up in the, you know, the, the glory of being a new chief Yeah, yeah that, yeah they didn't understand why somebody would want to leave it. Right. And yeah. I mean, it, truth be told, I get it. I, I understand yeah. it. Right. The Navy needs master chiefs. The Navy yeah. also needs LDOs. The Navy also needs warrants. And mm -hmm. if you were to dump all potential that we have in the senior enlisted ranks into any one of those funnels, it would only serve to harm us as an organization. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, I, I don't have a problem with it ever. And I, to the, to the extent that uh, I was always the guy going like, Hey, why don't we invite like the warrants and, and like the LDOs that were chiefs, like to, to chief season stuff, like to final night and everything else. And some like occasionally I'd catch somebody that was cool with it, but most of the time they're like, nah, they're not chiefs. And I'm like, yeah, they are like, <laughs> like, cause what, what was the difference when I had a master gunnery sergeant that was a buddy of mine that went through the season in Iraq as a gunny. And everybody was fine with him being there. I'm like, so it's just because he's enlisted? Like, he's not even in the Navy. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean. But he's been an accepted chief longer than all you clowns. So the, it's like, why can't. The once a chief, always a chief maxim. It's <laughs> a lot of people take it to heart. And a lot yeah. of people, it's a punchline. And <laughs> there, there's not necessarily rhyme or reason to how people take it. Um, yeah. But I, I'll be honest, me. a lot of the guys who busted my chops the hardest were the guys that were like, yeah, you know, five years ago I dropped two packages and didn't get selected. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sorry for you, bud. Like I <laughs> genuinely am, but you know, let it go. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, cause I had a, um, and he did it anyway. He kind of braved the, uh, the, uh, I don't know the pushback, but like we had a LDO saw like on, um, ballistic missile submarines you have a ldo that's called the assistant weapons officer okay and so we had he was a lieutenant the whole time he was there uh with me but he was a senior chief when he got commissioned so like he'd stop by and he'd knock and stuff because he understood like i'm an officer now so like he'd knock and then he just kind of stopped by and shoot a little bit like um and i was always like dude why do you even knock like but i i kind of got it because he's like well because you know i'm an officer you guys might be doing chief stuff i don't want to like intrude and act like i own the place but he's like i guess i don't need to but it's like it just depends and it's so it's like this weird gray area and i'm like yeah but why is it why is it a gray area like yeah, why you're no, you i i don't know i understand I, it i think it's stupid i think it's like 
I, I think you guys should still be able to sign charge books and do all the things and show up to final night and blah. Like I just, it's yeah. You went on an alternate career path, but like you're, you're an accepted chief that has experience to add to the process that has wisdom to share. Like, why would I not? If we're a product of our experience, like why would I not draw on the resource I have in the LDO and warrant community that like aren't, they're also chiefs, you know what I mean? So it's like, especially during like the, the six week season and especially like final night, send them to get charged. And I know a lot of guys just kind of do it anyway and get those charge yeah. entries, which get on them. I mean, but, I, uh, I took a few kicks in the teeth for that when I was a selectee. And yeah, I, and I'll like everything else was like, I'm okay. But, you know, at Whatever. the end of the day, that book says Zach book. Barbain. It doesn't say your name. So, yeah. yep, yep. <laughs> you know, that's what that we opinion is tell. worth exactly what it was I, when it came yeah. out of your mouth. I would tell all the selects, man. I'm just like, yeah, whose book is it? <laughs> whose book is it? Who's, whose shelf is it going to be on for the rest of their life? Not the guy telling you you can't get an LDO exactly. or whatever in your book. So shit, whatever. And that's, you, you know, um, the, the poor kid I had uh, last year, I, I was a sponsor for Selectee who, as a first class, had an LDO package submitted. Ah. And, <laughs> you know, that's always part fun. of me thinks it was just a dig. But uh, I mean, she ended up being great and she she understood everything mm-hmm. about why I was you know, kind of struggling with it last year because I knew it was my last go. Yeah. And, you know, for better or worse, I made that choice and I'll own that. So if that means I'm out of the process, then that was a a choice that I made and I'm willing to accept it. But I think it really depends on where you go and who's there. But I don't think it should be is my point. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it should matter. I don't think it should depend. I don't think because like if you read the McPon guidance for the season, uh, it it talks about drawing on the the uh, experience of like retirees and stuff. What's oh, the absolutely. difference? What's I, the difference? I one hundred percent agree with you. Like I don't, you know what I mean? Like it blows my mind, and it it says not like now there's words in there about involving the wardroom, but it doesn't specifically. I wish it specifically addressed, um, and and not really not just be not just for the season stuff, but um. I wish it specifically addressed the inclusion of like warrants and LDOs in the training and the process, just because it's like, it's a huge resource that we're not. And I'm sure like I, I complain about like, I'm talking about all this stuff. I'm sure there are messes doing it. And I'm sure they're doing a great job of it and they're oh, drawing sure. on that resource and leveraging it. And, and like, I usually when I'm running the season, I, I go out of my way to involve those guys. In and that's, you know, for, for better or worse, the way that the Navy works, you or I will only ever see a finite number of messes out of, thousands yeah yeah so for there sure. could be somebody out there who's got it figured out nailed down to a science and runs it like clockwork every year that just necessarily wasn't my experience I just, yeah i just wish it was standardized man to the extent possible obviously but um I'm trying to think like what what's been the experience since because i know you're relatively new to the officer community but like what's been your experience on the other side you know what i mean like you've, so, you've spent some time as a chief and now you're doing the wardroom thing like how does the experience differ and how has the adjustment been so the adjustment hasn't been bad um but to be honest with you i can't tell you what my experience is as compared to anybody else because i commissioned in the middle of a pandemic so yeah. <laughs> everything was it's like, we're weird. flying by the seat of our pants. We're just going to get it done. We're going to make it work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're, we're 
sailing uncharted waters here. So, I mean, I did, uh, I, I had a commissioning ceremony with 10 people, <laughs> um, to include like my first salute, my wife and my son. Yeah. And it was, uh, I mean, it was the best that we could make it given the constraints put upon us. Right. Right. But then, uh, I mean like the PCS and everything was fine. When I got to the ship, um, I had been talking to, to some of the other LDOs on board. Thankfully, uh, if you ever go to an LHD, like almost 80% of the officers and engineering department are all prior enlisted, either LDOs or warrants. Okay. (laughs) So, I I mean, there's like six of us in the department, so it's not, it's not like an immediate different world. Um, but I was talking to, to my chief about this the other day, actually, and the biggest change for me was that, so I, I've always been a guy that I, I read the pubs, I read the books, I try to get as knowledgeable as I can in what I do so that I can better set my guys up to do the job when I'm gone and they're still here. Yeah. And uh, the, the biggest single difference is it's not like the day I commissioned, somebody dropped the GIFM and every NSTM into my brain and I could just spout it. Right. <laughs> but the stuff that I had known for years, when I approach a senior, whether it's, you know, a department head up to the CO, mm-hmm. I'm saying the same thing I would have said three years ago, but it's perceived differently. Yeah. And yeah. that in and of itself is probably the most single poignant part to me of the, the defining line between being a chief and being an LDO is that I don't necessarily have to defend every word that I say because there isn't an inherent distrust. Now, I'm sure that there isn't an inherent distrust everywhere, but as a chief, one of the problems that I had was, you know, I I was punching above my weight class with primary assistants and department heads, and they were like, okay, well, I understand that you showed it to me in black and white, but I think that there's another book that says something different, so why don't you go look that up? Like, no, you know, I I brought you doctrine and – that's what we're going to do because that's what the book says. So I'm not going to dance around in circles to find more doctrine that contradicts it. I just need you to trust that I know how to do my job. And since commissioning, I have had to do so much less of that, that it has been wonderful. It's the same, same putting a star over your anchor, man. Like I, I noticed the conversations went differently. Um, Cause I, I did a chief's tour as a chief that was one of the junior chiefs in the mess. Um, and it, I had to qualify and even to the other chiefs, I had to like qualify and explain and like argue and just every, everything, every time I briefed anybody on anything, they were like, and they were, it was, they were pushing back on purpose to make sure that I, cause I was learning how to chief, man. I was like still figuring it out. Um, I went back to see as a senior chief and I'm like briefing the CEO as a department chief. And he's just like, okay, Roger that senior. Thanks. And like, it was, I'm like, huh? Like, <laughs> you don't want to ask me 17 questions really quick. And he's like, like it, he just trusted me a lot more than uh, the, the first go around. And so I just, I noticed that like, even I was in an SEL role at an A school as a chief. And then I made senior chief and I got to see the difference and it was just different. Like, it's just, you're uh, having it, a different conversation. It absolutely is. Even if you're saying the exact same thing, it's received differently on the other end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's go like I want to loop back around to the so now you're you're I guess you were waiting to commission so you're still a chief and you had that conversation with your CEO about the NJP um, 
after listening to me blab on about what uh, what I thought, but like, what was the kind of, of of the details you can share? Like, what was kind of the the situation for that NJP, and then kind of the conversation that you had with that CEO? Um, so, without giving too much detail, um, relatively cut and dry, pretty stereotypical case. It wasn't alcohol related, but uh, you know, reduction in rate suspended, mm-hmm. and all, all in all, on my end, it seemed like the mitigating circumstances were far in excess of the threshold at which we had to start asking questions. How could we have set the situation up better to have not impacted said sailor in that manner? And one of the things that like, even before I got selected to commission, before I commissioned as a chief, like I had a far better, uh, a far better discourse with my commanding officers. Like I, I was far more, able to walk in and say, Hey, sir, you know, I understand that this is the way you want to go, but I just want to ask, like, have you considered these factors? Yeah. And it got listened to a lot more as a chief. And and that was fantastic because I've never been a guy who was able to swallow opinions. Like if I thought something was wrong, it was coming out (laughs) one way or the other. Yeah. And sometimes that definitely did not help my career. So like how the, how did, um, I guess like when you had the conversation with him, how did it go as far as, uh, where you were, it sounded like you were vocalizing that, um, you didn't really agree with how it went, right? Like you, the, the proceeding itself, but then like kind of the follow on action. And then you guys actually had a conversation where he came out the other end, kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, like understanding a little bit better that maybe we could have done, we could have done better by that sailor. Yeah, no, I think that when you get to a certain level of experience and I'm not necessarily sure where that is, but I think that once you've been doing this for so long, things become much simpler in your book and you don't necessarily take into account everything else happening. I I think a lot of people, once they get to a certain level, and again, I can't tell you what that level is. I haven't arrived there yet, but (laughs) you kind of get to a point where you feel like, okay, this happened. This is what I'm going to do, period, the end. Yeah, and in the process, there's kind of, in the process, there's kind of a whole lot of checks and balances to make sure that at least things are discussed, but I don't know that they always get given due, uh, Due consideration. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I've definitely seen that with a lot of COs. Maybe not so much. I, I don't know. I had one prior enlisted CO that he was almost like a kind of guy I had to talk into being harsher. Uh, like there were times where it was like, no, really, you need to punish this kid. Um, but yeah, I think most of the, you know, nuclear trained 1120s that I've worked with on submarines, it's, it's generally like they not that he a lot of my COs like I could see the weight of the decision making, like the weight of the fact that I have to impose punishment on this kid and I know that I'm gonna like take money or rank or whatever. So like they they didn't take it lightly, but I feel like there was a lot of nuanced discussion that could and should happen about how the kid gets treated going forward, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's, I mean, going back to what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, once accountability takes place, yeah, it needs to be over. 
And then yeah. on us as leaders, it becomes our job to then assist that sailor in finding their way back to whatever their straight and narrow is. Right. And that's what like I I would struggle to have like I felt like I was the only guy in the room that uh, felt that way about it because that was how it went. It was like everybody wanted to ostracize a sailor after they, like after they and it was always something like especially if it was a drug offense, right, where a kid's going to get processed out no matter what. Yeah, it's yeah, like there's, you, there's not a lot of gray area there. Yeah, but you can't like you you can't do anything else to this kid. Like he's already getting thrown out of the Navy and they there's a from what I understand, the sub pers man has a, a statement where it's like if they if they pop positive and are processed out for a drug related offense, their dolphins get removed on their way out the door. So it's like you're just going to they're going to get kind punched an, in the stomach 20 times on their way out the door. Uh, it's just an unnecessary kick in the balls like you're already I, getting rid of. The I guy. agree. Let, yeah, let him I keep agree. what he's earned. I agree. Not to I feel steal like the Navy slogan. Well, I agree because it's like you you just in, in the same way that we're talking about, like looking forward from the end of the accountability process formally to like this sailor recovering. Like it's almost like we're going back in time and erasing everything they've ever done. It's like they, just because the sailor made a mistake and has to be held accountable because of the way the policies are written. It doesn't mean they didn't valuably valuably contribute to our nation's defense and absolutely. earn those dolphins that they're wearing. So and it's like, if you look at what are we doing? If you look at what the accountability process looks like, say at the flag level, right? Mm-hmm. Say misconduct occurs and then there's an investigation and then following disciplinary proceedings, there's a secondary investigation to determine the pay grade in which last they served honorably. So you'll see yeah. a lot of times yep. when you have, you know, an admiral of some star get hemmed up on something disciplinary, they're still going to be allowed to retire, but it might yeah. not necessarily be in the grade that they expected. Right. And that's right. It's not necessarily a process that we could use on the enlisted side just because it, it's a you're talking about different time in grade, time in service, different requirements. But all in all, I think that that process kind of reflects more on okay well this is the good that the guy did and this is when he stopped yeah and i think they do uh when you're talking about like a retirement eligible sailor i think they do do that i i'm remembering some master at arms dog handler senior chief thing guy got in trouble doing something overseas and they ended up doing that like they went back through his record and back through the process and figured out like okay what's the last time he performed honorably is he still eligible for retirement i want to say that that's what happened i'd have to look it up it's been so long since i've i've looked into that story but yeah i and i I just feel like even if you're not talking like if you're not talking about a retirement eligible sailor like i tell the story about a young a young sailor that like pop positive for uh cocaine and um up to that point had been great and he had his dolphins and everything else. And it was like the chain of command, but especially the CO was just like, Rip, I want his dolphins. I want him out of here. I don't even want to see him in this office, blah, blah, blah. Like he violated the like integrity of his blah, blah, like just freaking out, like acting like <laughs> acting like he like punched his mom or something. And I'm like, look, the, I was the preliminary inquiry guy and like he did it. Like I, I made a recommendation that like, you know, it's more likely than not that he did it, but 
the circumstances were super like murky. He made some bad choices. He went home on leave. He was like pre-gaming with his friends drinking. And they ended up at a strip club and he had drank way too much trying to keep up with his friends. So by the time he gets here, he's like super drunk um, to the point where he was like blacking out periodically. Like he was losing time. Um, And he's like, I remember there was people next to us in a table. They had drugs and stuff. They offered cocaine multiple times. And I remember saying no multiple times. And then I lost some time and I woke up in my bed the next day hungover. And apparently at some point I said yes, or somebody slipped it to me or something. I don't know. And it's like, like he made some bad decisions. Like he did it. Accountability has got to happen. But like they wanted to burn this kid alive. And I'm just like, why are we treating this kid this way? Like, yes, like all the things are going to happen. There's likely no way that he could appeal this and actually win and whatever. Like he's, yeah, he's he's going to process out for a drug offense. He's going to lose a bunch of benefits. Like all these things are going to happen. Yeah, it's but like, at the end of the day, you also pers- don't have to continue. Right. You know, dumping on the kid like it's right. bad enough as it is. There are things yeah. that are mandatory that are going to happen. We don't necessarily need to add to that and make it worse. Yeah. And like even throughout the process, like when I was interacting with this kid, for the preliminary inquiry, it was like, I treated him like a normal dude. Like, you're just a person, man. You're a human being. I'm going to treat you like that. We're going to have a conversation like that. Um, I kept asking him, like, do you have any questions about anything? Okay, if you do, come get me, blah, blah, blah. And like, once he was done and they they do this thing where they, you know, they temporarily assign him to like a, a transient division while he processes yeah. out. And I saw him at the galley one day. I went up there to visit a uh, sailor that like wanted to sit down and talk about mentorship stuff. And it was one of my old A school students. And so I went up there and I ran into him in the chow line and I was like, Hey man, what's going on? Like, how you doing? Like, just talk to him about like what he's doing in the transient division. And I was like, look, man, I, I don't know what everybody else told you, but like, if you need anything, you can come by the office and, and find me and, and we'll talk about it. And I was like, I don't give a, sh- you know, I don't care what anybody else said or how anybody else feels about it. If, you come into that office and somebody tell says like, what are you doing here? Get out. I was like, you oh, come find, it. find me and, <laughs> and we'll talk about it. And they, then they got to go through me and they're not going to go through me. Cause that's just, I'm this, <laughs> you know, like you're not going to win that argument. So I like, I'll take him somewhere else if you don't want him in your office, sir. But <laughs> like, we're still going to talk and I'm still going to help this kid. Cause he's a sailor until he's not like he's, and even then he's a, he was a sailor and I'm still going to help him. So. Exactly. I know, and I, I think really like we just need, we, we need more people to open their eyes to that because there's it's so easy in the Navy to play out of sight, out of mind. Once yeah. somebody's transferred, once somebody's detached, once somebody's separated or retired, mm. it's so easy to just write it off and immerse yourself in the detail of what's going on right now in front of me. Yeah. And I think that in that we lose a lot. We, we lose a lot of good people because they don't yeah. necessarily feel like there's anybody who cares longer than you're doing productive work for me. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like it's like fair weather leadership, man. It's like I, I had a kid uh, when I showed up to the A school, I was checking in and I walked into the instructor office and there's this kid sitting in like a, it was like one of the random cubicles off to the side that clearly wasn't actually occupied by anybody. And he was like sitting there, like doing the head nod, like fighting, falling asleep. 
I'm like, who is that? And I'm like, oh, that's this guy. You know, like, I'm like, okay, what's he doing? <laughs> oh, he just marches his students to and from Chow. I'm like, okay, like, what else does he do? Like, what is that it? Like, is that all he does? Like, yeah, he's not allowed to interact with the students, like, as an instructor. Uh, I'm like, why? Oh, because Chief so and so said he can't. And then, like, that chief wasn't even there anymore. <laughs> like, oh, God. Okay. That's- like, what? But why? Like, I just wouldn't let it go. And so like three weeks I was checking in and getting a bunch of, I had to qualify as an instructor and all this other stuff. And then they quickly realized that I asked too many questions and I was annoying and I wanted to fix everything that was broken. So they're like, well, this is, we can't have this in the schoolhouse. So they punted me over to the barracks to run the uh, NMTIs and well, that's, on my but- way out the door. I'm like, Hey, you get up. You're coming with me. Like, I'm, and I just turned around. I'm like, I'm taking him with me. I don't care how anybody feels about it. And like we walked out and I took him over to the barracks and um, they couldn't like they couldn't produce anything formal saying that this kid couldn't be an instructor. So we well, went. and that's I mean, there is yeah. within the Netsy domain, there is a process for removing somebody from instructor duty. Right. But uh, I mean, you ever seen well, the this movie kid showed uh, up a few good not, men? Yeah. Right. The yeah. whole code red deal. Like we, we <laughs> yeah. come up with these creative and unauthorized ways to punish people. And then yeah. we get surprised when it blows up in our face when really there's a perfectly functional disciplinary system yeah. that we have, but we just like, don't this, use it. Yeah, this wasn't even that, though. Like this kid, they just didn't like him. Like, so like basically what happened was he got sent there to fill a billet that he was an LS. He got sent to fill a billet to teach an LS class. And uh, the detaching command didn't properly screen him for instructor duty. So like he didn't have a bunch of the stuff that he needed. Like he didn't go to instructor school and route. He didn't have a driver's license, like just dumb stuff like that. And so I'm like, okay, what have you guys been doing about it for the last I mean, that's, six months? Like, have you tried to get like him a, a driver's easy license? Fix. Like, yeah, hey, I'll take you to the DMV, fix. buddy. Dude, like, yeah. We, and we started doing all that, but it was like by the time I got there, it was almost too late because he was going to hire tenure out as a second class. And so it was like we had to like I did all the things and man, we got him to a place where he was functional and he was doing really well and he was passionately taking care of the students. The students worshipped this kid after he like because he like we started treating him like a, a human being and letting him valuably contribute. And then we let him qualify NMTI. And when he got to do that and he got to put the rope on and stuff, man, he lit up and it was just like the students like worshiped this kid. They freaking loved him. Every course critique I got was LS2 is the best. LS2 is the best. He's always helped us out. He's always staying late and, you know, like helping us get ready for uniform inspections and teaching us things and broke my heart when he because he he ended up higher tenuring out because I could there was nothing I could do, man. I like I couldn't teach him how to LS like he had to pass an exam, but. Um, and it's like, if I, had, I, I, what made me really mad is if I had more time with him, he may have, like, I may have been able to get him like an LS mentor and, um, get him to where he needed to be to take the test and do better. Cause he did better on the exam. We almost got him to his driver's like, like he was progressing a lot, but it was like too little, too late <laughs> too. Yeah. I got there too late. It fucking killed me, dude. Like, and oh, I just, I, I it, get it. Yeah. My, uh, it, my my wife has noticed that there is a distinct difference in me when I come home after taking a sailor to, you know, DRB, XOI, Captain's Mass, anything like that. Like yeah. I'm even if it's something that's cut and dry, straight up willful misconduct, like I come home yeah. and I'm not like I need a little bit of time to just burn it down because yep. it sucks. It's not yeah, fun. Man. And yep. 
It doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile and it shouldn't happen, but there should be some sort of like moral guilt on my part. Oh, yeah. If somebody under my charge screws up, like whether my name goes down on paper or not, at some point I have to own that and I have to look and say, hey, well, what could I have done differently here? So I have to not set this kid up to fail in such a spectacular manner. That's kind of like the way that I look at it is like I own it like it's my failure because I'm his leader and I should have, you know, his or her. And I got to guide them down the right path, blah, blah, blah. And it's like like I, there is obviously a personal accountability piece where it's like I can't make decisions for a person. I can't I can't hold their hand and spoon feed them their entire life. I can yeah, try I mean, and I have. But like, I well, can't, you can't be there 24 hours a day. Yeah, either, I can't like, be ever present. So it's like I had a kid that the same thing, like just and I mean, he should have never shown up like to to the job that he was at. And like by the time I got to him, it was like he'd been sitting there festering with all these financial problems and all this other stuff that like he had a a couple of ARIs and like it was just like so much stuff that didn't happen that could have happened where this kid could have gotten more help. And I maybe maybe. Like if somebody had intervened way sooner and made this kid feel valued, he wouldn't have made the choices that he made. Like that's the, that's all I can get to in my head and the flow chart of like, what could I have done differently? But yeah, it's like, it wasn't even me. It was like whoever was here six months ago, kind of the same situation as that other kid. And it was like, but th- in this case, like it was, he needed help and everybody knew it and no one did anything. And I was just like, I was f- furious. And he was a kid that I ended up losing him. And it was like, I knew I kind of knew like it was like I had a conversation with my CMC and he goes, you know, this is probably not going to go the way that you think it's going to go. Right. Like, like I understand, like because my CMC is a lot like he's, we're very similar in our like we want to just sell out on saving everybody and like just doing everything we can to like have everybody succeed. And it's like even when it looks like it's a lost cause to everyone else, I'm like, nah, give give him to me. Give her to me. Like, I'll fix that. Let it, let them come exist in my organization and, and like, we'll get that, the sailor, the help they need or the, the environment they need or the training they need or whatever. And, and we'll fix it. You know, like I, I, yeah. very I much honestly, a way. lot, like, especially the more junior, the more malleable. So for sure, if, if you can show a junior sailor that you genuinely care about them as a person, as a sailor, their yeah. personal and professional development, they'll go to the ends of the world for you. But yeah. the flip side of that is if you stick them in a corner and take them out once a week when something needs to be done, then there's no value to be felt there. There's no, you know, there's no intrinsic yeah. motivation to accomplish anything because at the end of the day, you only need X from them. Yeah. And that's what I think that this kid, he, so he was, he had done an, an entire first tour on a submarine. Uh, so he's at like five years. So I th- I honestly think that his experience in the Navy had already kind of like downloaded into him that no one valued him and like the and I like his background had something to do with it and and just like the way he grew up and all this other stuff. But like, yeah, man, I just when it all wrapped up, like I I he's I thought we were I thought we were making a lot of progress, even though it was like painfully slow and like a ton of work or like my my uh the fine it was financial issues primarily so like my god bless my command financial specialist like just another chief and she just 
she wanted to blow her brains out, but it's like, cause it was like, he wasn't, he was embarrassed about like the situation that he was in and that he needed this help. And so it was like, she would like peel back layers, peel back and just find more stuff that he didn't tell her about and all this other stuff. And it was just like, she was, I'm trying to help you. I need you to tell me everything, blah, blah, blah. And so like, so she was getting really frustrated and I ended up with, um, I got a phone call that he didn't show up for watch and found him at his apartment. And he like, well, so we went to, I went to his apartment and as I was pulling up, I got a call that he showed up to the building drunk and I'm just like, like, and so it's just, man, I like it's then like, you know, the whole rest of the day unfolds and it's, it's like 1800 and I'm walking out of the building and my CMC is walking to his, his truck and he just sees me and I'm like heading and low. And we talked about it. He's like, remember that conversation we had? He's like, look, man, I'm not saying I wouldn't have done the same thing and sold out on trying, but like you had to know that the odds were like very against you here. And I was just like, yeah, man, but I thought we were making progress and, and I don't even think it like even if there was like a zero percent chance, like I still would have sold out on trying and then been disappointed when I failed because it's just like I don't know, man. Like I mean, that's what it's we're like supposed what to you do. Would, like it's that's, what you were. That's yeah, my job. At the end of the day, like it's, it's what you not, were describing too, though, man. I have like an emotional attachment. Like I, I felt gutted when I failed. You know, like and I failed. That's what happened. Like so, that's how I felt about it. You know what I mean? Like I mean that whole like the the emotional investment that we put into this into this career, into our sailors, it's some of the most ridiculous highs and some of the most awful lows. I remember uh, when I was a, I was a first class, I was filling a uh, LCPO billet. We were gapped for about a year and I was on leave for the funeral of a family member and young Divo calls me and wants to tell me that he got his swope in and I could have done a backflip. Like I was like, I'm so unbelievably proud of you congratulations (laughs) like yeah and that's you know by any standard logic you're not going to have a first class in the navy in a position of mentorship to an ensign yeah i mean i mean yes it's out there Uh, yeah but by and large like that's not normally the expectation but i mean for sure this guy i was just i I was thrilled and then conversely the, in the times that I've had the hold sailors accountable and it ended at captain's yeah. mast, whether it was deserved or not afterwards, like it, it's, yeah, it it's doesn't hard. matter. I just feel like I failed and I feel like, like I'm, I'm sitting there like going like forensically accounting the entire like leadership interaction experience I had with the sailor. Like, what did I do? Like, what did I, what could I have done better? Was yeah. Like, what off ramp existed for me to right to do something to, different to impact yeah. this process? How, how common do you think in your experience with chiefs officers, anybody in, in leadership, do you, how, how common do you think that that type of emotional investment is? Um, it, it's hard to say. So, I mean, there's guys out there that, even guys that I've never met personally, like J Bell, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll use oh, him as God, an example, right? So the other that, day, man. I got to get him on this podcast. Soon. The I other day, that. I'm scrolling through Facebook and he posts a picture and it like I could have jumped up out of my damn chair. There's a kid yeah. with a restricted badge and a oh, name yes. on his chest. I meant to I meant to bring that up earlier because we and were talking I, about the accountability stuff. I saw that picture and just like, yep. man, I I wish that I could start pumping J Bell's off the damn assembly line. Yeah. And sending him to CMC bill. It's like, this yeah. is what we need. 
for sure, dude. Like I, I saw that and it was, I shared it on like the, I think it was just on Facebook, but it like, it's like an illustration of, uh, Exactly what we were just talking about. Like, I mean, it's an illustration of the process going the way it's designed. Exactly how it's supposed to. Yeah. Like I just because you got to think that like maybe the kid was just a go getter and the the thing happened and he just owned it because I don't know. That's how he was raised and his parents like taught him to just pick yourself back up, dust yourself off and move on with life. Like maybe it wasn't. But my suspicion is that that command and that mess and Jay bell do a freaking ridiculous job of like prepping a sailor for what comes after captain's mast. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, look, like I, this is going to happen. We still love you. Like you're going to go in there. You're going to be honest. You're going to take, take what's awarded. And the second you walk out of there, your slate is clean. You're going to serve your time or whatever. But from, from the second you walk out of that room, you're, a sailor on board my ship and you're going to, you're going to be treated just like everybody else. And you're going to be like, this is the first day of the rest of your naval career. You know what I mean, like, you know that they shored that all up before that kid went in there and, that and then has he came to out, be, hit the deck plate running. And, that has yeah. to be a command wide yep. climate. There, yep. there is no way that yeah. there is any like overwhelming voice of dissent to that. Yeah, there can't be. How could you, cause man, and like, and I often wonder, cause I'm like right there where I'm going to be finishing my cob calls. And if I get medically cleared, that's, you know, billet next is, is being on a submarine in the same position Jay Bell's in. And it's like, it, I gotta think that that type of ju- approach, it's going to be super contagious. And it's like people like so much, so much buy-in is going to happen so quickly that it's like, you're not you're not going to have to fight against the negativity stuff. They're going to love working there. They're going to love being a part of that experience. They're going to love watching a sailor rebound and and put a nam on after a captain's mask. They're going to love watching all of the things happen the way that they thought they should of when that chief or or whoever was a blue shirt. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like I and can't imagine you're going to have much, if any, dissent. You know, the, I mean? the only wish I have is that we could take that and just carbon copy, copy paste yeah. across the fleet because <laughs> i feel like i've i've long since held belief and i don't know if it's a good thing that's kind of a caveat to it but i've long since held the belief that the command sel whatever whatever iteration it is at the unit level that you're at dry like they are going to drive the culture of the command more than anyone else like oh i absolutely I think believe that so i have yeah, uh, so it's like was, I, I don't know, man, like it, I don't, but I don't know if that's a good thing because of it's a single point of failure. You know what I mean? It is a, a lot of the times. So I had um, a, uh, a prior cob as a command master chief on a DDG. And okay. I, to this day, I don't understand the whole process of the conversion. I know it's the same C school. It's the same NEC. Um, it's not even, yeah, it's usually but just by and large follow on. I mean, he came and I, I had been more acquainted with submariners than most mm-hmm. surface sailors just because I spent two and a half years in that community at the beginning of my career. Yeah. And so you had all like the sub instructors and the stuff. level of intensity he brought specifically to sailors man. level of knowledge. <laughs> and yep. that's, I mean, you can, you can spin it any way you want, but at the end of the day, like a submariner is going to be exceptionally proficient in their field. 
That's not always necessarily true on the surface. And it's not, yeah. you know, it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just a fact. But well, that's, what yeah. he brought was, okay, well, he went through and got his surface warfare pin and he did it the right yeah. way. Th- this yeah. dude printed the 100 sections, printed the 200 sections yeah. was in his yes. office, drawing system diagrams. And yep. for me, like I'm, to you know, I'm doing that. backflips. Yeah. Like I'm a junior chief and like, yo, this is what it's supposed to be. This is how this yeah. is supposed to work. You're doing it right, yep. man. And it caught yeah. like wildfire. Yeah. It went to- throughout the command. Yep. The example that that sets that like, cause I know like there's, I've, I've heard people joke about like submariners specifically about how they went to like a submarine tender and like got a ESWAS pin with their check-in sheet. And it's like, I, it's the reason why it's treated that way is because people like this, like at the CMC level are allowing it to be treated that way. And I, I've talked to a lot of surface sailors about it and they're like, yeah, it's de- it depends on the command. Like some people, some commands take it really seriously and it's done really well and others don't. And it's Which just, realistically, it, you would never hear that with somebody talking about their fish. Ever. No, not at all. And that's what's there. There is sometimes some um, some discussions that are had about like, especially with like cooks and stuff, right? Where like um, there are sailors that just show up to the submarine and they struggle a lot with qualifications and they don't uh, all necessarily have the aptitude to do it on their own, which is kind of the culture of, of getting your submarine dolphins is like, you're kind of left out on a windy corner a lot and they want to see you struggle and see how you react to that struggle and how you kind of treat, like how you react to the adversity of it. And if you ask for help and stuff like that, but sometimes it turns into this like, almost adversarial relationship where what it should be is like people like helping each other out and get behind and pushing. Um, Cause if somebody ends up at a submarine qualification board and they can't pass it, it's the fault of their leadership. So it's like, Hey, come on, like figure it out. And, and so there's discussion. I came out of a submarine qualification board for an electrician one time. And uh, they, he was a kid that like people expected him to struggle. And it was, this was actually, I believe his second board. And I've never seen a kid want it more in my life. Like he was this really interesting kid that um, he you could tell he wasn't like he didn't have great social skills. Like if that makes sense, like he he struggled relating to the other guys in his division and just like in his peer group. I mean, that's not but, an incredibly uncommon thing. No, amongst the, the naval Especially reactors nuclear, community. Yeah. <laughs> But he so he was but he had a really hard time with just like divisional calls, departmental calls like um, but he was all heart, man. Like this kid like would work for 24 hours a day, seven days a week if you'd let him. Uh, all he wanted to do was succeed. Just great attitude. Like he he FSA for me a bunch of times because he kept having trouble and he wasn't qualified anything. And um, and I loved having him. He was amazing. He was one of the hardest workers I've ever I've ever had. uh on the decks with me, but he did the, he came into his second submarine qualification board and he knocked it out of the park, man. And it was me, uh, a JO and, uh, like a fully qualified JO. And then, um, it was a nuke. I think it was a fully qualified ELT, like a lead ELT qualified nuke. Okay. And I mean, we put him through it, man, and asked him all the questions and he, we put him through damage control stuff. Like he donned a, an FFE and SCBA for time and, 
like made a forum C report and did all this other stuff. And then like explained to us, did the drawings, did all the things like he had lookups at the end, but um, we had uh, his division just expected him to fail. So when he came out, a bunch of the electricians started like basically saying that we like threw him an underhand pitch and I went and found their LPO and I said, if one of your electricians wants to come talk to me about my ability to administer a submarine qualification board, stop by any time. I was like, I'll walk you through it step by step. But if, a, if like you're not going to like challenge my integrity under your breath, you're going to do it to my face. So yeah, I was no, like, absolutely. I was that, on, that's not a that's I not something fire. You, you sling. Lightly. Yeah. yeah, but it was it. So it, it, it happens like it gets questioned occasionally and like there's some some things that but that's because of the integrity of the process and because of how fiercely protective we are of submarine dolphins like guys get upset if it's perceived to be uh like if the integrity of the process is perceived to be degraded at all so like um i wish i wish it was like that in the surface community and i know i i know there's commands out there that are doing it like that and that's awesome but yeah it's it goes a long way when a cmc who doesn't even need to, you know what i mean like he could have cream puffed his way through that ESWAS process, but he didn't. And he made sure everybody knew it. And that's that's outstanding. And that's, that is exactly he, he, how that's supposed to be done. He took it to the extent where he was going to individual work centers and seeking out, yeah. you know, like the, the first the super class. knowledgeable second classes. The yeah. first classes. Give me a checkout. Like, <laughs> and like ask was, me all the questions and give me lookups. Like, I, I want to I mean, know. It yeah. caught like wildfire. It that's outstanding. Throughout the command, you had people that were trying to challenge each other. You know, hey, I read something in this tech manual. Did you know this? And it was yeah. great. Yep. The the end That's result exactly. is the command benefited as a whole because everybody's level of knowledge started trending yep. up. And that's exactly how that's supposed to happen, man. That's outstanding. Um, God, I love that. That makes me happy on the inside. Um, <laughs> uh, any save rounds or alibis, man? Anything we didn't talk about that you want to that you want to touch on before we wrap up? Uh, I mean, I don't think I have anything in particular. I. uh the, the big thing for me was like, I, I talked to guys on a ones and two basis mm-hmm. coming out of their captain's mast and like, look, you know, here's, here's what happened to me. Here's what I did. Here's how it impacted my career. And then I'm here. I've been in the Navy 13 years. Like I am not, you know, 24 years in senior as yeah. hell. Like yeah. it turned around inside of a year. It was uh 361 days from the day of my captain's mast to the day that I pinned on third class off an advancement exam. Nice. So to to the young guys, like if you get punched in the face, whether it's your fault or not, get up and keep moving yeah. forward. Yeah. Some man. days it'll be slow, some days it'll be fast, but by and large, like progress is not going to happen if you don't make it happen. And if you yeah. give up on it, it it's a losing battle. Yeah, and the pain is temporary, man. Like I, I I wish more and and J Bell's on my life's to do list. So like I, I want to talk to a CMC at that level that created that type of a culture because like I've only seen it a handful of times on submarines and it's like it's really rare where it, you you just kind of it feels different. The energy in the air is different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the attitude, everybody's attitude's different. Everybody. It's like they're happy to be there. And you're like, what? I'm a, I'm underway on nuclear power. Why is anybody happy to be here? But you're like, holy crap, like it can be done, you know? And so it's like I'm real interested to to learn about that and, and try to like see how you create a command culture where that's the norm because it's like that should be everybody. And it's like 
it scares me that the single point of failure feels like it's at like the the command SEL level because it's like if you don't have a JBell, like then you're like, yeah, okay. So like, what if the like I feel like the command culture takes takes a hit when you don't have somebody that's that passionate and that engaged and that you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that. So I mean, the CMC or Cobb can be a single point of failure, but really. I, I will believe until the day that I die that the command culture is driven out of the cheese mess. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And unless you've got a mess of one wearing two right. stars, I, I yeah, think that there's, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of impact that can be had there. Yeah, for sure. And I, I was going to caveat that when I said it earlier was like, cause I had, um, I've had like cobs and CMCs that needed help. You know what I mean? And it was like, we, had a strong chief's mess and it was like so that no one knew that oh let's see the senior chiefs were picking up the slack you know i mean like they kind of did but it was more like it was more framed as we were getting trained to be cobs in the future type of thing and it that wasn't really it was kind of what was happening but sometimes not really um is like we were just filling the gap and um yeah and i think that that there's that that can definitely happen and there's a lot of value in that happening. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's like kind of a single point because like the other thing that I kind of go back to too, though, is I've seen, because if you have a junior chiefs mess and the command SEL is setting a culture that, you know, might not be the best. Um, it's, it's like a lot of times what you'll see is the chiefs just kind of say, okay, this is what we're doing. And they adapt to what's going on around them. And like, if you don't have stronger voices in there that are just saying, no, like this is what we need to do. And there, and it's tough when you're the only one. Cause I've been that guy too. When, Oh yeah. When I had a struggling command position to be in. Yeah. I had a struggling command SEL and not the strongest quarters. And then it was just like, I was the only voice in there going, no, like that's not what we should be doing. And I lost a lot until I got help, you know, and like until more guys showed up that, that could kind of, get on my side of the fence and help but uh yeah so it it definitely it's i i would say it's definitely the mess but the culture of the mess is driven by that command sel so yeah man um god yeah i'm excited i gotta get him on soon because that's that'll be a fun conversation i'm sure but uh well hey man thanks for your time i really appreciate it yeah no problem thanks a lot for having me i really appreciate it um I know that this was originally started for a much more junior audience, but uh, I don't plan to stop listening anytime soon. Oh yeah. No, I appreciate it, man. (laughs) All right, everybody. I hope you like that. Uh, I I love talking to listeners. Number one, that's always fun. Uh, But this guy, uh, Zach had a really interesting career progression. He went, he encountered the accountability process early on. It completely derailed his plans (laughs) coming into the military where he was almost done with the nuclear pipeline. And then goes through, recovers, kills it, makes chief, and then is selected to LDO. Uh, Those transitions are always interesting to talk about. And then, of course, uh, the accountability thing is something that I love talking about and that I'm glad we got to uh, again. And I I mean, I talked about it on the last one with with Chief Nick about um, the chief's accountability like that i i think that a guy should be able to or a girl or whoever should be able to lose a star or even lose their anchors over uh something disciplinary related much like a first class can lose a chevron so um lots of awesome discussion really glad we got to have it and i appreciate as always uh listeners interacting and and uh 
a lot of times it leads to me dragging them out of the podcast. So that was awesome. Uh, if you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't give up the podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the podcast. Or you can DM us on Instagram or Reddit or engage us in the subs. Uh, R-U D-Guts podcast, all those things on, on Reddit. And then at D-Guts podcast on Instagram. Uh, hit us up. Let us know what you think. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or criticisms, always open to hearing them. Uh, and then if you would be so kind, like, share, subscribe, review on all the platforms. Uh, just social media, if you share and engage in the content, it helps. If you review on all the podcast platforms, it helps, especially if those reviews are positive. <laughs> if you enjoy it, it helps the algorithms get the message out to the people that need it. So uh, it always helps and we would appreciate it. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. 